Well, we've been studying the book of Daniel for a number of weeks now. And I had mentioned when we were in the book of Revelation that this would be a good book to study as a companion book. And I do believe that to be the case. It's a much shorter book, obviously, than Revelation, but a lot of good stuff here. And it's interesting that in uh, some circles of the church, and I use that term broadly, the church, all those who fall under the umbrella of the Christian church, those who identify as believers in Jesus Christ. In some circles, there's a uh, belief that New Testament Christians should not study the Old Testament. But as a matter of fact, the foundation of our faith has been laid out for us in the Old Testament. Jesus and the apostles constantly quoted from the Old Testament. And as a matter of fact, think about this. The only Bible that the first century believers had was what? The Old Testament. And so it's been said that Christ is in the Old Testament concealed, although he's not all that concealed when you really dig into it, but he's in the Old Testament concealed and the New Testament revealed. So, and um, my mentor, my primary mentor, Pastor Chuck Smith, who pastored the very first Calvary Chapel in Southern California about 60 years ago when it began, Pastor Chuck used to say, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so it's important that we study the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and as we do that, many wonderful truths appear for us. So, we're in Daniel chapter 4. This is part 2 of the message, From an Oak to a Joke. Now this chapter started, if you'll remember, with a decree from Nebuchadnezzar given by him after God had taken him through the humbling machine. Daniel 4, 1 through 3, King Nebuchadnezzar to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. This is as a result of that encounter with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they went into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, wait a minute, I thought we threw three guys in there. I see a fourth one and he looks like the Son of God. Even before that, remember Daniel had interpreted his first series of dreams. So Nebuchadnezzar has had a massive dose of the power of God. He says, verse 3, How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And yet we find he's still not quite there yet. And so 30 years after that first series of dreams, he again begins to have dreams that trouble and perplex him. So again, he calls for the wise men. This time he tells them the content. Remember the first time he said, unless you tell me what the dream was and what it means, I'm going to cut you all to pieces. This time he tells them the contents of the dream and merely seeks an interpretation. But of course, they're still not able to do that. 
All he asks is that they tell him its meaning, but they're unable to do that. So then once again he calls for Daniel, God's representative, and tells him the contents of his dream. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we ask your blessing upon this time of study in your word, that you would give us insight, understanding, wisdom. May we continue to learn and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So we left off last time in verse 18, so let's read that again. Verse 18, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen, having already told Daniel all about the dream. Now you, Belteshazzar, Daniel's Babylonian name, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation but you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Now remember, as I told you last week, except for the New King James, virtually every other translation, including the Old King James, says the spirits of the Holy Gods, small h, small g, small s for spirit, which indicates that really he was still a polytheistic worshiper. He worshipped many gods. But he also recognizes that Daniel's God is the biggest of all the gods. And we know that's not quite theologically sound. But anyway, that's what he tells Daniel. I know you can tell me because the spirit of the holy God or the spirits of the holy gods are in you. So now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. And again, another indicator that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's not quite there yet. He continues to refer to Daniel by his... Babylonian name, which means Bel, the god Bel, protect the king, Belteshazzar, God protect the king, Bel protect the king. Another indicator that he still really hasn't changed his pagan ways. He says to Daniel, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. And so I'd uh, heard a, recently heard one of those stand-up comedian guys, and he said, uh, Stupid can't be fixed. And so these guys, after all these years, even under Daniel's leadership and guidance, they still don't have that ability that Daniel has because Daniel has the Spirit of God working in him and through him. 1 Corinthians one twenty-five, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, we know that God has no foolishness, but Paul's trying to make a point here. Even if there was a foolish aspect to God... He would still be wiser than men. And the weakness of God, we know again that he's not weak, but the weakness of God is stronger than men. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. There's an important truth here in this Verse 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Sometimes we think we have to just really work hard to convince, to persuade people, to believe in God, to receive Christ, and so forth. But the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. So the best thing we can do is try to encourage them. You're not going to understand everything up front. Becoming a believer, becoming a Christian is a step of faith. You know, I would challenge you, my friend, my family member, whoever you are, 
Give God an opportunity to make himself known to you. Step out in faith. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to come into your life, fill you with his Holy Spirit, and then you will begin to understand spiritual things. It's really a fruitless pursuit to try to convince a non-believer of spiritual things. They do not have the ability to understand them. And so the enemy will try to get us all tied up in knots trying to convince people of all these spiritual truths that they don't have the ability to understand. Just a little friendly advice there from the Word of God on how to share your faith. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. And again, as I tell you over and over again, so it's important to pray for those that you're concerned about. You're concerned about their eternal destiny, their eternal condition, their salvation. Pray for the gift of faith, because it is a gift. We're told that in Ephesians chapter 2. No one ever got saved by conjuring up their own faith from within themselves. It's imparted to us by God. Pray that they receive the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. Those are the two key things that will lead to true salvation. If you don't believe you're a sinner, you don't believe you need to be saved, then you're not going to repent. And both Jesus and John the Baptist came out and said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So we need to pray for those two things, the gift of faith, the gift of repentance. So we receive Christ by faith, and then we have begin to engage in this lifelong pursuit of getting to know him better and better, more and more deeply as we feed upon his word, fellowship with God, have fellowship and relationship with him in worship and in prayer and in Bible study and all those things that are part of that ongoing process of discipleship. Finally, 1 Corinthians 3.19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. So all these so-called wise men in Babylon, when it came down to it, they really weren't all that wise because they didn't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel, you are able, again, for the spirit of the holy God or the spirits of the holy gods, whichever interpretation you want to use, is in you. So regardless of Nebuchadnezzar's incomplete conversion, if you will, he recognizes that God in Daniel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God in Daniel makes Daniel unique. And hopefully when we interact with those around us, people will see that in us as well. Has anybody ever said this to you? You don't have to raise your hand. There's something different about you. And you know, sometimes you go out in public, you go to a store, a restaurant, what have you, and you might encounter someone working there, a server in a restaurant, someone uh, at the front desk of a hotel, and something just clicks and you go, I think that person's a believer. You ever had that experience? Because the Spirit of God lives in us, the Spirit of God lives in every true believer in Jesus Christ, and there's a witness, an inner witness that takes place when in the presence of other believers. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, now you can raise your hands. That's fine. That's good. And even though Nebuchadnezzar is not a true convert yet, he recognizes this in Daniel. All right, verse 19. 
Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, because the king said so, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. Why? Because he couldn't understand the dream? No, not at all. Daniel was upset because he knew the dream spoke of God's judgment on Nebuchadnezzar, and he was struggling with bringing him the bad news. Last week, we looked at the contents of the dream about the high tree. That's why we call the message from an oak to a joke, because of what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. It's okay. Nebuchadnezzar's concerned for Daniel, even as Daniel's concerned for the king. It seems they've developed a warm friendship over the last 30 years. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and interpretation, its interpretation concern your enemies. So Daniel wishes the dream were about Nebuchadnezzar's enemies instead of about the king himself. This is Daniel's subtle way of telling the king that the dream is about him and it's not going to be pretty. So here we go. After having settled the dust here and Nebuchadnezzar giving Daniel permission to speak freely, Daniel begins, The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could not be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. And so now, with the king's encouragement, Daniel's urged on here, begins to share with him the meaning of the dream. First, by recapping the contents. Let's just make sure we got all this correct here, king. We read about the leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, food for all. So the prosperity of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom had been a source of blessing for all who lived under his dominion. That wasn't the problem here. He was a very successful monarch under the, which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. Not only were the citizens of his kingdom, which encompassed many different people groups, not only were they prosperous, they were safe and secure. The animal kingdom was settled into their area. Provision not only for human beings, but for animals as well. It was just a really prosperous kingdom, this kingdom of Babylon this empire, this Babylonian empire. But verse 22, It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. And then one translation says, straight out, O king, you are that tree. The dream is about you. So, but Daniel, once again, exhibiting his tactfulness and wisdom here, begins with the positive part. In the Old Testament, a tree is a common symbol for a ruler or nation. Israel is often referred to as the fig tree. And since Babylon was and is prominently desert and has few trees, a tree of the gigantic proportions described here would have been impressive and unique. So Daniel starts out by talking about how prosperous and abundant and wonderful his kingdom is. 
softening the blow, if you will. For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And remember Daniel in the previous dream interpretation 30 years earlier, with the head of gold, he told Nebuchadnezzar, you're the greatest of all kings. All the succeeding empires will never be as great as your kingdom. And of course, that immediately went to Nebuchadnezzar's head. So these terms here convey the idea of totality. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, your dominion to the end of the earth. And using deliberate exaggeration here, Daniel says that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom extended from heaven to the ends of the earth and was so universal. So far, so good, right? Good stuff. We move on. 23, and inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over. As we mentioned last week, a watcher, a messenger, an angelic being. It means a waking one, one who is constantly on the alert. Again, a holy one, a term commonly associated with angelic beings. So God sent this dream to Nebuchadnezzar through one of his messengers, one of his angels. In the first chapter of Hebrews, we're told that God's angels are ministering spirits sent forth to watch over those who are the heirs of salvation. In other words, let's talk for a moment about predestination, election, all that. How does that work? In Calvinism, they call it irresistible grace. God chose you before the foundations of the earth. If so, you can't resist them. You have no choice but to get saved. Calvary Chapel does not embrace Calvinism. Because the Bible also clearly teaches man's own free will. God created us in his image. We have a free will. We can choose. And so at some point, when you talk about predestination, election, being chosen, it's a matter of God's sovereignty and man's free will intersecting. And here's how I believe it works. Before you were ever even created... God chose you because he knew that you would choose him. You see? There's no sense in God choosing someone he knows won't choose him, right? But everyone has the opportunity. Jesus said, all those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. We'll read the verse in a moment from 2 Peter where God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That doesn't support the Calvinistic view of irresistible grace because Calvinism also teaches if you're not chosen, there's no hope for you. You can never be saved even if you wanted to be. Again, quoting from Pastor Chuck Smith, if someone says to you, I would like to be a believer, I'd like to be saved, I'd like, but what if I'm not chosen? Chuck would tell you, choose Jesus and find out. And if you choose him, you'll find out that you are chosen. It's a bit of a mystery, but the good news, anyone and everyone, if Jesus didn't die for everyone, then his death on the cross was a failure. 
If he didn't die for every person, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you ever run across somebody who's got this demonic idea in their head that they can't be saved, you need to tell them, God says you can. You have a choice. You can choose. I hope I didn't confuse you too much with that. So God's messengers, his holy angels, one of them brought this message in the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And what does the angel tell Nebuchadnezzar in the dream, this watcher, this holy one? Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth. And so as Daniel is interpreting the dream and telling Nebuchadnezzar the not-so-good news, you are the tree, the tree Nebuchadnezzar would be cut down, but the stump, the foundation, would be protected. Have you ever seen a stump where it's starting to shoot out the branches again? It looked dead, right? You chop the tree down, but then all of a sudden, things start growing out of it again. So the stump, Nebuchadnezzar, is going to be reduced to a proverbial metaphorical stump. Leave its stump and roots in the earth. The tree, Nebuchadnezzar, would be cut down, but not uprooted, indicating that ultimately he would be restored to the throne. And just to uh, seal the deal with that, bound with a band of iron and bronze. So while Nebuchadnezzar is under God's chastisement, his kingdom would be protected. And then let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. So basically, he's going to live out in the open, King Nebuchadnezzar, wet with the dew of heaven, no shelter, among the grazing animals for a period of seven years. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Verse 24, Daniel tells him, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord, the king. So this is a statement that the king is familiar with because anytime he's given a decree, it's irrevocable, it's unchangeable. The word of the king stands. So Daniel states that this dream is from God and it constitutes a decree irrevocable against Nebuchadnezzar. So the king would fully understand what he's saying here. He goes on to really spell it out. Verse 25. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. So he's going to be removed from the general populace, unfit and unsafe to be around, doesn't play well with others. Going to make him eat grass like the oxen. That wouldn't be a normal time for most people, except now in the days we're living in it might be. Have you heard about the big push for people to start eating bugs instead of meat? 
This is real. It really bugs me. Ooh, I got you. But I just read an article talking about all the dangers of eating bugs, all the bad stuff. Wouldn't be the first time they told us to eat something that was bad for us, would it? Or maybe do something else that was bad for us. We're living in interesting times, folks. I thank God that I know him. I thank God that you know him. And we hope and pray that more people will come to know him in the short time that's left. But anyway, Nebi won't be eating any bugs. Or maybe he will, I don't know. But it sounds like mostly he'll just be grazing in the grass. And he will find that it's not a gas. That's an old song. So not a normal time for most people. Although unlike bugs, I guess grass does have some healthful benefits. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven. So no shelter, just living out in the fields like a wild animal. Seven times shall pass over you. We're going to encounter this number again in Daniel 9. Daniel's 70 weeks. But this idea of seven times, it means seven years. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to live out this animal life, if you will, for seven years. And again, we know sadly there are people who have been institutionalized for mental and emotional issues for many, many years. So seven years might sound like a lot, but it certainly could have been worse. And what's going to release him from this sentence, if you will? Daniel tells him, till you know. And this isn't the first time that Daniel's told him this, but like so many of us, Nebuchadnezzar is pretty hard-headed. Till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. I would postulate that the vast majority of people in the world today still don't understand this, that God rules in the kingdom of men. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And we need to remember that because we can get discouraged at the disappointments and failures of our leadership, not only of our own country, but other countries around the world. We see people failing in that area, not really living up to the expectations we might have. And we know that in the Old Testament times, in the kingdom of Israel, once they insisted on having a king, God wanted Israel to be a theocracy, that they would live under his rule. They demanded a king. They got Saul. That didn't work out too good. Then they got David, which worked out really well. But for the most part, the people of this world don't seem to recognize that in spite of how things may look on the surface, the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And see, the thing is about God, He... he he exists outside of the realm of space and time. You and I relate everything to that idea of time, right? We have roughly 70, 80 years on the earth if we're fortunate. But God, time is nothing to God. He is eternal. He always exists in the here and now. And so we might think, man, this is going on for too long. Things need to change. But to God, it's just a, a drop of sand on the seashore. And so it is for the 70 years of Nebuchadnezzar's chastisement. 
even though Nebuchadnezzar was a tremendously successful ruler and all the people under his authority were, were well cared for, he would be judged because in spite of numerous opportunities for him to personally witness the hand and the power of God through Daniel and his friends, he continued to practice idolatry and take credit for his success rather than giving the glory to God. Verse 26, And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom here, whew, little good news here, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. So all is not lost, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, the bad news is pretty bad. You're going to live like an animal for seven years out in the field. But that's all going to end after you come to know that heaven rules. And so the scriptures clearly teach us, again, in spite of what we might see with our physical eyes, all earthly rulers rule by God's volition, not their own. Again, where it gets a little troubling, a little confusing, is when we see, see people rise up like an Adolf Hitler, obviously, or a, a Stalin, or somebody, a Xi Jinping, a communist Chinese dictator. But again, the Bible says God's ways are not man's ways. We don't understand all things. Our, our understanding is limited. God sees the big picture. We don't. But we have to trust that God's word is true. And if God says that all leaders are there because he either put them there or allowed them to be there, there's a reason, there's a purpose. And I forget who it was that said this, but some famous person once said, God gives a nation the rulers they deserve. And that's a little scary, but it sounds about right. Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And we won't take time to do this, but we've talked about it before, and there's multiple examples in the scriptures where godly people did have to resist an ungodly, tyrannical government or system. We are not, God does never expects us to obey any authority that would require us to do something that is immoral, illegal, or unbiblical. That's where we draw the line. The apostles told the Sanhedrin we have to obey God rather than men. But when it comes to things like obeying the speed limit, doing anything that lines up with the Ten Commandments, God says thou shalt not steal. Our laws used to say that. Now if it's under $900, you're free to walk out. And again, how can you tell when a nation's going downhill? When it becomes lawless. And that's what's rapidly happening in our country. But forget that. We keep our eyes on God. Right? On Jesus. And but there, there is a risk there. There's a temptation in that if we recognize, for example, I'm always blown away when I'm going down the freeway and... I might be going just a tad over. You know, like 70 and a 65 or something. I guess that's 
Uh, I don't know, that's the Christian grace rule or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> but somebody comes blowing by me at 90 miles an hour. And I'm going, really? We see more and more people who have no regard, like the law doesn't exist. I do what I want to do. Right? And there's a lot of reasons for that. One, we, we don't have good law enforcement. I mean, a lot of these places like New York City and different ones have cashless bail. You don't have to post any money to get out of jail. They book you in, they book you out, and you go kill somebody else. This is true. I'm not making it up. I mean, the, it's abundant. The evidence is abundant that people are allowed to get away with more and more. Horrible things. Pedophilia, child abuse, rape, you name it. And so people say, well, if I can get away with it, I'm going to do it. But that doesn't apply to you and I. We, we answer to a higher power. Okay? We can't live like the world gives. And let me give you another real close to home example. Marijuana is legal here now. I wonder how many believers are driving by the pot store and thinking, yeah, maybe I should check in. And what's even worse, our idiot government not just New Mexico, but many places across the country are legalizing marijuana and other drugs when study after study, I just read one, habitual marijuana use for people in their 20s leads to brain damage. You think? And then several years ago, I read one where people were having schizophrenic episodes from habitual marijuana use. But our government says, oh, well, let's just legalize it. Why? Because it's good for you? No, because they make money off of it. And they don't have to deal with the law enforcement issues. Again, we answer to a higher power, the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah. And just, but there's a temptation there. You better set your mind against it. Set your mind like flint. Just because it's legal... Oh, but God said obey the laws of the land, man. Cool. It's legal now, bro. Let's have a worship service. <laughs> There's a church in Denver, Colorado that worships with marijuana. Not a real church. Not God's church. There was a guy years ago that used to be on TV all the time. The Reverend Bud Green. Did you ever hear of him? The Reverend Bud Green. Yeah. Praise the Lord, man. It may sound funny and silly, but it's true. We have to watch ourselves. We have to guard our hearts and minds. We're supposed to influence the world, not the other way around. Here's Psalm 109.8, a psalm or prayer of David. I remember Chuck Missler was in our church years ago when we were meeting in the other building. And it was when Barack Obama had been elected. And Chuck quoted this verse. So you put this on him. He's with the Lord now, but put it on him, not me. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. So folks, yes, we are called to pray for our leaders, but this is one prayer you can pray. And you might even apply it to someone we all know about right now. Let his days be few, and that doesn't mean we're praying that he's going to die or anything. Let his days be few and let another take his office. And that was King David. If David can pray that, 
I can pray it, right? You can pray it. And by the way, this idea, I love the ending of verse 26 here where Daniel says, after you come to know that heaven rules. I might have a t-shirt made. I like that. Don't you think that would be a great motto to live by? Heaven rules. I loved it when Kanye West came out with Jesus is King. Remember that? That's a good one too. But I really like heaven rules. Maybe we should do some shirts. And you know what? Each of us should probably ask ourselves this question on a regular basis. Does heaven rule in my life? So verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So first of all, Daniel tells him, break off or renounce your sins. You know, sometimes when I'm in prayer, the Lord leads me to renounce certain things that I know have been a problem in my life. So sometimes we'll just pray, Father, please forgive me for my sins in Jesus' name. Nothing wrong with that. But also it's good sometimes to renounce specific sins that the Holy Spirit has brought to your remembrance. You know, anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, whatever it is. Vanity. And Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar, renounce. Renounce your sins. When we lead someone to Christ and they're coming out of like witchcraft, the occult and so forth, obviously we encourage them to renounce Satan. Right? Renounce witchcraft. Sometimes that can involve if somebody's heavily into the occult or the New Age or whatever, you take all those books and so forth that you've collected, you go out and put them in a trash can and you burn them. Renounce it. Pornography. Don't sell it on Craigslist or eBay. Burn it. So Daniel concludes his interpretation of the dream by calling Nebuchadnezzar to repentance. That's the goal here. That's the purpose. That's why the Holy One, the Watcher, brought this message to Nebuchadnezzar and brought Daniel to interpret it because God is giving him an opportunity for repentance. And you've probably heard me say this before, but I'll mention it again. And we all need to get better at tuning into these things when God speaks to us. But God always gives us a warning before he pours out judgment. Do you know that? Noah. Noah's flood. He was preaching to the people for 120 years while he built the ark. God gave them opportunity for repentance, but they didn't. Obviously, there are other examples. Problem is, most of the time we don't listen. God always gives a warning. And then you look back and you say, well, yep, should have seen that coming. God was giving me a warning. I didn't pay attention. Because God loves us. He's a God of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack or slow concerning His promise, as some count slackness or slowness, but is long-suffering, patient toward us, not willing that any should perish. And by the way, that word any in the Greek means any. God's not, if, if God's perfect will were done, there wouldn't be one human being in hell. Do you know that? 
But how does that happen? Because we do have a free will. We have a choice. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's God's will for Nebuchadnezzar, that he would come to repentance. And then Daniel says, break off your sins. I like that. Break them off. Some people think they can just kind of ease out of sin. Instead of sleeping with that person you're not married to every day, maybe we taper off to two or three times a week, once a week. We'll just kind of, that ain't never going to happen. Right? Well, we'll just sleep in separate bedrooms. Yeah. How long did that last? Right? Well, I'll, I'll taper off on the money I'm stealing out of the cash drawer at work. Instead of taking 100 bucks, I'll just take 50 bucks. Yeah. Doesn't work. You've got to break them off. Break off your sins by being righteous. You know what the word righteous means? Doing what is right. If you want to be a righteous person, do what is right. Ask God to help you. Ask Him to impart His righteousness to you. That's part of our inheritance in Christ. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Break off your sins of commission. A sin of commission is where you choose to do something that isn't right. Something that is wrong. Break it off. And then your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. An iniquity is a sin of omission. So he says also break off your sins of omission. Sins of omission is not doing what is right. When you know what is right, but you don't do it. And in this case, Daniel uses the example of showing mercy to the poor. And then Daniel tells the king, if you do these things, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. In other words, repentance, Daniel's not making any promises here because guess what? Daniel's not God, is he? Repentance might result in a reprieve. There was a king named King Hezekiah, 2 Kings chapter 20, beginning of verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. So Hezekiah is making his case here. Hezekiah wept bitterly, and it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. Interesting. Now in this case, Hezekiah wasn't under God's judgment, but he was in the sense that he was about to die. And so he humbly sought the Lord. The Lord extended his life for 13 more years. God does give reprieves if we humble ourselves before him. Ultimately, it's his choice. It's according to his will. But Daniel says, it might be that God will extend your prosperity here if you break these things off. But we find out very quickly that didn't happen. Verse 28, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar, the whole tree deal. 
and we'll see it in depth next week. But that indicates that he, in fact, did not repent. And that reminds us of another truth. God always does what he says he's going to do. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. God doesn't need to repent. We do. Has he said and will he not do? And it's sad how many people might actually pick up a Bible and read it, but then they don't apply it to themselves. We have a tendency to think we're the exception to the rule, right? No, God's not a man that he should lie. His word is truth. If he said it, he means it, and he'll do it. Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? The good news for you and I, if we have put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior of our souls, that means all the wonderful promises of God's word are for you and me. God said it, he will do it. Trust him. Walk in his ways and he will bless you. More importantly, you will walk with him for all eternity. Let's stand. Next week, the fall and rise of Nebuchadnezzar. Let's bow our heads. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, if there's any prayer requests this morning, please raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you guys. Wow, quite a few. Father, you see each hand. You know each person intimately. You know it's better than we know ourselves. You know what's on each heart, what's in each mind. Father, first we would lift up health issues. Lord, there are an abundance of those, plenty to go around. We pray for healing. Lord, we recognize that you are the great physician. Not only are you the healer of our souls, you are the healer of our bodies. And Lord, again, we don't always understand how you operate, but we do humbly come before you and pray for healing for whatever the health issue might be. It might be a broken bone, Father. It might be a wound that won't heal. It might be a, a potentially terminal illness. But whatever it is, we know that you are greater, you are stronger. Nothing is impossible with you. Nothing is too difficult for you. And so we pray for healing. We reach out to you in the mighty, precious name of Jesus. Lord, we've read in your word about many miraculous healings down through the centuries, both in the Old Testament and the New. Lord, we just call upon you, as we just read, you say what you mean, you mean what you say, and you do it. And so we trust you now for a pronouncement of healing upon those struggling here this morning or those that are represented by those here this morning, those who may be watching on the Internet. Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is not restricted by any boundaries and you can send your Holy Spirit wherever you will at any point in time to heal, heal anyone you choose to heal. So Lord, we, we humbly beseech you for healing, physical healing, also mental and emotional healing. Father, we know that many people today are afflicted with anxiety, depression, fear, many things, Lord. And we pray for that healing as well. You promised us, Father, as believers, that we would have the mind of Christ. We would have a sound mind. So we ask you in Jesus' name to rebuke any dark entity they may be harassing anyone here this morning or anyone connected to anyone here this morning, Lord. We ask you to bind the enemy, bind his cohorts from harassing your people. 
We pray for deliverance for mental and emotional issues in Jesus' name. We pray for refreshing and encouragement from your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for financial issues. Lord, those can bring a lot of anxiety, fear, worry, depression, and so forth. Lord, we pray for provision. Those needing a job, those needing a better job. Lord, those needing disability, perhaps. Sometimes it can be very hard to get the government to cooperate, but there are those who genuinely need that kind of provision. Lord, whatever it is, we ask you to provide for your people. You promised that you would. We ask you to give us wisdom regarding the management of our resources. Lord, that we would not try to live above our means, that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and then you promised that all these things would be added unto us. So we lift up those financial issues, and finally we lift up relationships. Father, we know that the enemy wants to destroy friendships, marriages, all family relationships. We pray for healing, restoration, wisdom, Lord, on how to bring healing and restoration. Help us as your children to be the first to reach out for healing, for restoration, for reconciliation, for forgiveness. Lord, please forgive us if we've harbored any bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness ourselves. Help us to repent of that, give it all over to you, and we pray that relationships that seem like they might be broken forever would be healed and restored, and we will give you the glory and the praise. And Lord, finally, we thank you for the food that some of us are about to partake of over in the main building. Ask your blessing upon those that have prepared it. Pray for a great, rich time of food and fellowship, and now we ask you to receive our final offering of praise in Jesus.